And today, uh, our guest speaker actually should not be a stranger. He has spoken to us quite a number of times already. But maybe some of you uh, do not know him, so allow me to introduce him to you. He is the senior pastor of Guiding Light Christian Church in Baguio City. They have other outreaches as well. And he is ministering to about uh, 300 to 400 pastors every year from different uh, organizations and different denominations. And uh, the Lord is actually widening his sphere of influence, and we are so thankful for this brother. Presently, he is the chairman of uh, Communion of Christian Ministries to which we belong to. That is our accountability group. And so without much ado, let's all welcome in our midst, Pastor Robbie Casas. Let's give the Lord a big hand for him. Let's just bow our heads in preparation for the Word of God. Most glorious Master, King of all creation, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you, Lord God, in all humility, understanding, Lord, that apart from the work of Jesus on the cross, we would not be able to approach your throne of grace. But even now, Lord God, we are here seated at your feet as your redeemed ones, those whom you have adopted to become your children and co-heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ. How great indeed, Lord, is our salvation in him. How wondrous truly is your grace. May we never lose sight, Lord God, of the surpassing riches of your grace toward us in Christ. And even now, Lord, as we are seated at your feet, help us to sit, Lord God, as children anticipating, longing to hear from their Father, to minister to us your word, your word that not only informs our lives, but also transforms us to look more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, do establish your word as that which produces reverence for you. And use thy servant in spite of all that he is. Cause thy servant to decrease, that you alone might increase. Grant us now understanding, and grant us, Lord God, the grace to obey what we need to obey. We ask this now, Lord, for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If I were to give a title to the message this morning, I would simply call it, But God, But God. And I will be explaining to you why um, I'm calling it that. But uh, at the same time, the reason for that is I would like to give you a memory assignment. 
Okay, is that all right? Now can I give you an assignment? For memorization, it's very simple. It's those two words, but God. You think you can do that? Let's try. But God. Very good. Very good. We got this. Praise God. Now let me just say, and um, this is very, very important, and I pray that this is something that we would take to heart, that every Sunday, and this is my challenge to you, every Sunday and every time we open our Bibles, it would do us well to refresh to ourselves the gospel. I'd like to repeat that. Every Sunday when we sit in a place like this to worship God, to listen to His Word, every time we open our Bibles in our personal devotions, it would do us very well to refresh to ourselves the gospel, the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very act of our Lord that resulted in the forgiveness of our sins and consequently our eternal salvation. Unfortunately, dear brothers and sisters, many times we who are Christians, we take for granted this salvation. Like, let, let me ask you for a moment, when was the last time you thanked the Lord for your salvation? When was the last time you thanked the Lord with all your heart that He had died for your sins, that He had adopted you to be a child of God? When was the last time you thanked God for His sanctifying work through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? My prayer for myself and my prayer for each one of us here is that we would not allow a single day to pass in our lives as believers without thinking and without thanking God for our great and glorious salvation. Amen? The songs that we had beautifully sung reflect the gospel, talk about the gospel, describe to us the greatness and the beauty of our salvation. You see, brethren, it is in remembering this monumental work of God on Calvary that I am reminded of two words in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians particularly in verse 4. Kindly please open your Bibles with you to Ephesians chapter 4. Even if you do see the passage on the screen, I still would like to encourage you to open your Bibles. If you're using electronic Bibles, turn on your Bibles, and let's keep on getting used to opening our Bibles. Particularly in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, which starts with, but God. But God. Now, right off the bat, I would just like to already state this to you because this is what I hope to be able to show you this morning. And what is this? The cross of Christ on Calvary is the historical and eternal but God. That is the center point in the history of mankind. That is the central event in God's 
plan of redemption. I'd like to read that once more to you. The cross of Christ on Calvary is the historical and eternal but God that is the center point in the history of mankind, the central event in God's plan of salvation. In fact, the cross of Christ it is what has divided history into B.C. and A.D. It is the central event in the whole of creation. Now, having said that, however, I'd like also to say that even beyond the theological significance of these two words in relation to God's redemptive plan for us, but God also has practical implications in our daily lives. I cannot overemphasize the importance of that statement. And allow me to go a little ahead of myself. If I say that but God is the historical and eternal center point in the history of mankind, I'm sure you know that what I'm referring to here more than anything else is the work of Christ on the cross, the gospel. The gospel has practical implications in our lives. I find myself often repeating this to our congregation in Guiding Light to remind them and hopefully to remind each one of us here that the gospel is not only for unbelievers. The gospel is not only an evangelistic message. The gospel is also for us who are believers. And I urge each one of us here, let us make it a habit to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. To remind us of the glories of Calvary. To remind to ourselves all the different aspects, all the most important elements of this gospel because this gospel has practical implications in the key aspects of our lives. You can actually apply the gospel to help you in your marriage. You can apply the gospel to help you in your parenting. You can apply the gospel to help you in the area of proper stewardship and the handling of finances. You can apply the gospel to help you in all your other earthly relationships. It has practical implications, dear friends. At the same time, I would also like to say that those two words, but God, can spell the difference in the way that we face the challenges, the adversities, and the afflictions that beset us on a regular basis. But God can be the turning point in these situations. And that's why it is my hope that as I keep repeating these two words, these two words would echo in your minds not only today, not only after you leave this place, but from this point on, you would remember, but God, but God. And this is what I hope to be able to impart to you today. 
Now, to appreciate these two words, dear friends, we need to look at them in the context of where I would like to study them as they are found in Ephesians 2. As you will see, those two words can be found in many other places in Scripture, but for our purposes, I would like to study those words in the context of Ephesians chapter 2. And allow me to explain to you why I feel that those two words represent the center point of history. And to do that, we need to go back to a time long, long ago in a distant garden, a garden that was perfect, a garden where God and humanity had perfect fellowship. I'm sure you understand what I am referring to here. We go back to the book of Genesis. When God had first created all things, and finally He had created man and woman, and with them enjoyed perfect fellowship. Now, trust me in this. None of us here can fully, truly understand that word, perfect. We can only imagine it. We can only surmise about it but truly explain it, truly understand it, and grasp it. I don't believe any one of us has that capacity for the simple reason that none of us is perfect and none of us has experienced anything in a perfect way, at least not yet. Do you agree? Nonetheless, having said that, that was what was existing in that garden between God and man perfect fellowship. And truthfully, we can only imagine what that was like. So being far removed from that even today. But one thing we can be sure of, it must have been an incredible experience. Amen? It must have been an amazing experience that time in the garden. Imagine this for a while. Us or you being able to literally, audibly hear the voice of God Himself directly. No need for any human mediator to hear the voice of God. I wonder what the voice of God sounds like, really. Speaking to you directly. How wonderful that must be. Imagine this for a moment. His presence clearly sensed, His presence clearly seen, and possibly even touched. Imagine this for a moment. His will clearly, unequivocally known and made clear to us. No room for mistakes, no room for misunderstanding the will of God. Imagine that for a moment. And because of that, friends, there was no need to diverge from His perfect path. Praise God. Because of that perfect situation, there was enormous freedom to be completely, authentically human. The only creature created in the image of His Maker authentically human, with no shame involved in His presence. 
Now, why do I stress that? Because today I know that each one of us knows that we are sinners. And that if that God would appear before us right now and would come in His most holy presence, this I believe with all my heart, none of us will stand before Him and applaud and say, Wow, God, you're here. None of us will do that. I believe with all my heart that if God would suddenly come and appear here in His full glory and in holiness, all of us will find ourselves bowed to our faces down on the ground in holy fear. Maybe uttering what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips." We might similarly declare as Peter declared, Lord, stay far from me, for I am unworthy. We would be ashamed of our sinful humanity because we are sinners. But not during that time. During that time before sin came into the picture, there was just such this enormous freedom to be completely, authentically human, created in the image of God in His presence. Brethren, there were no unfulfilled desires at that time. There was no such thing as disappointment at that time. Humanity was in perfect harmony with the heart of God. Now, we can only imagine what that was like. Everything was just perfect whatever perfect truly means. Now, of course, we know that story. We know how that story soon enough changed when in Genesis chapter 3, a slithering liar of a serpent came into the picture and created the illusion of unfulfilled desire by tempting Adam and Eve to think that God was withholding the best from them and therefore tricked our first parents into developing a will that was independent of their Creator's will. And basically that was what Satan did. He tricked them into developing a will independent of God. And we need to understand, dear friends, that basically that is what, the, what is at the very root of sin. It is self-will. Sin is wanting to do what you want to do and not caring about what God wants. It is what I want. It is what you want. It is an independence of will from our Creator. Sin now entered into the picture in Genesis chapter 3, and the, and the results, brethren, as we know, were tragic. Have, the results have been not only tragic but catastrophic down through the ages so that even now we still feel the consequences of that wrong choice today. Every time we suffer, it is a consequence of that wrong choice made in the garden. Every time we experience inclement weather, 
or every time we go through a disaster or a calamity, it is a consequence of that wrong decision in the garden. Every time we catch a cold or cough, we get sick or brought to the hospital, it is a consequence of that wrong decision. Every time we come into conflict with another human being, it is a consequence of that wrong decision. Every time we are tempted and find ourselves falling into sin and turning our backs on God, it is a consequence of that wrong decision. Each of us brethren has followed the path of our first parents. So that even Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 declared, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Paul himself quotes that in the book of Romans. Because of that wrong choice, we now became ruled by self-will. And we have grown more and more blind down through the millennia. More and more deaf to the voice and presence of God. Our senses dulled to the point, brethren, where many of us have even wondered whether this God exists. And today it has gotten so bad that many in the world today are trying to even disprove that He exists. Can you imagine wanting to disprove the God who created you and me? And brethren, basically this is the condition that is described in Ephesians chapter 2. Please open your Bibles with me now to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is the condition that these three verses describe. Look at how Paul begins this chapter. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 1 tells us how God saw us before Christ and how God sees those who do not have Christ. He sees them as dead. Dead in their trespasses and sins. No matter how alive you may look in the eyes of others, in the eyes of God, He sees you, He sees me, apart from Christ, as dead. As dead. And then in verse 2, we see also a worsening, of our, a worsening scenario to our plight. In verse 2, he presents to us the external forces, the external influences, the external functional gods in our lives. Read verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 2. Now we are held captive by this world system. 
We bow before the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us know who that is. It's no one else but Satan, who is the god of this world, as the Bible tells us. And then in verse 3, again, all of this apart from Christ. In verse 3, Paul presents to us the, etern- the internal influences, the internal forces, the very functional gods within us. Look at verse 3. Among them, we too all lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So from the outside, we have the world, we have Satan. From the inside, we have the flesh. All striving to bring us farther and farther away from God and to rebel against God. So that at the end of verse 3, we have been called children of wrath even as the rest. Look at the end of verse 3. That's what we have been called. We were by nature children of wrath. Friends, regardless of what the world says, apart from Christ, we are not children of God, but children of wrath, objects of the wrath of God. Yes, in one sense, the world can say we are all children of God, but only in the sense of creation, but not in the sense of a spiritual relationship with God, not from the perspective of God. No wonder he tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, that to them who has received him and believed in his name, it is only to them that he had given the privilege to be called children of God. Not to everyone. You know, when I meditate on that phrase, children of wrath, it sends shivers in my whole being, throughout my whole being. To be called a child of wrath, the object of the wrath of God in Tagalog, anak ng poot ng Dios, even as the rest. Now that is a dark picture, amen. That is a dark picture, and I believe that Paul purposely was painting this very dark picture as he was speaking to the believers in Ephesus. Notice that this is all in the past tense. He was reminding them of what their past was. Now, watch this. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 2, please. After reading about this horrendous depravity, this horrendous lostness of man, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the first two words of verse 4 comes into the picture like a bright, shining spear piercing this dark picture. But God, Deus, but God. And what follows through all the way to verse 10, brethren, is the description of the glorious salvation that we have by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Please read with me verses 4 to 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us. Notice how beautiful those words in verse 4 are. Eclipsing the dark descriptions of verses 1 to 3. Being rich in mercy because of this great love with which He loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, And He raised us up with Him, and He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Look at the change in the situation. Dead, now made alive. Dead, now raised up. Dead, and now seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Right now, as you look at yourself, you are seated here in this beautiful sanctuary. Amen? But spiritually, from the perspective of God, you are now seated in the heavenly places in Christ. And then in verse 7, he gives that high and lofty purpose for doing this so that in the ages to come he might show forth the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love verse 7, brethren. You know why? Because here the Lord says, I saved you because one day you will be my trophy. You who were once dead in your transgressions and sins. You who once bowed to the world and bowed to Satan and bowed to your own flesh. Because of my grace, I will now hold you up as a testimony of the surpassing riches of my grace in kindness toward you in Christ. Can you imagine that, brethren? God will hold up his church as his trophy. Who are we to be the boast of God? Amen? And then in verse 8, he elaborates now a little further with regard to the, the, to the riches of that grace and kindness toward us by reminding us, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, verse 9, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. And then verse 10 kicks in, through which God now gives us the very purpose of our salvation here on earth, for we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. Verses 1 to 3 talks about our deadness, our lostness, and then verses 4 to 10 is capped by verse 10 by saying, you know what? You were once dead, but now I will use you. 
I will use you as my workmanship to do the good works which I had prepared beforehand for you to walk in so that you might represent me. That word workmanship is a Greek word poema from which we get the word poem. We are God's poem. His masterpiece. Unbelievable, brethren. Look at those 10 verses once more. Notice the stark contrast between what we were in the first three verses and what we are now in verse 10. Look at the contrast, brethren. And all because of those two words, but God, between those two conditions. Kita po ba ninyo? Do you see this? All because of those two words, but God. Unfortunately, brethren, we Christians often tend to overlook the importance of tiny words like but, or therefore, or end, or however. But here in this verse, brethren, that little word but introduces the greatest contrast in the universe. The contrast between the first three verses and the next seven verses. It is a most important word. I could take three, four Sundays just expositing to you these ten verses, but for today, I would just like us to look at those two words. And what a contrast that is. In a sense, those two words, brethren, but God, contain the entire gospel message. But God. You want to be reminded of the gospel quickly in a second? Just remember, but God. But God. Now, why do I say that? Because those two words show the ultimate contrast. On one hand, they show man's hopeless plight. And then on the other hand, they show God's gracious provision. On one hand, they picture man's absolute impotence. On the other hand, they show God's merciful intervention. On one hand, those two words describe man's utter helplessness and lostness. But then on the other hand, they declare God's glorious hope. Those two words show the ultimate contrast, brethren. Now in general, friends, that word but day in the Greek shows distinction. It shows a difference. But, ngunit, pero. But here it also serves to mark a transition to something new. Here the word but also serves to show a change to something new. And particularly because that word but is connected to the word God. God now becomes the subject of this sentence. And therefore, as God, Theos, is the subject of this sentence, God then is the distinction. Amen? God then is the transition. 
He is the one who marks the ultimate contrast between what we were and what we are now. Amen? Now I know that that is not a mind-boggling truth. But I also know that it is a truth that we often take for granted. Especially when we are faced with the challenges of our lives as believers. Many times we walk with the heart of one defeated because we tend to forget the but God in our lives. Many times when we think of what we may have lost and some of us may have lost much, we feel that we are at a loss. We feel that we are on the losing end, forgetting that because there is this but God. It is God who makes all the difference anyway in whatever situation we are in. And we must not forget that, brethren. It is God who marks the ultimate contrast between what we were and what we are. So that there is no reason for us to envy those who do not know Him, who do not have Him, no matter how much of the world they think they have. Amen? It is in the light of this, brethren, that I cannot help but remember one of my most favorite chapters in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. Kindly please open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3. I know that this chapter is very familiar to you in Exodus chapter 3 as the people of Israel were nearing the land of promise. We will see how important the distinction that God is for the people of Israel from the perspective of Moses. Now, what was happening here in Exodus 33, as they were nearing the promised land, here was God, of course, in all His faithfulness, having promised His people that He would bring them out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. Here was God telling His people, okay, we're here. You're almost there in the promised land. Go. As I have promised, go. You can enter the promised land, but I will not go with you. Because I just might smite you along the way. After all your complaining, after all your unfaithfulness to me, I just might smite you along the way. So here's the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Go, but I will not go with you. Read through that. Read through Exodus 33 quickly. There you will read that the people of Israel were disheartened. And the most disheartened of all was no one else but Moses. Moses now begins to talk to God. He, began, he begins not to ask God, Lord, in, in so many words, saying, Lord, Lord, can you explain this to me? I, I don't get this, Lord. You had promised not only to bring us to the promised land, you had also promised that you would go with us, and now you're saying you're not. So, so, so who will go with us? In essence, brethren, Moses here was interceding. He was asking God, Lord, please explain this. This was not your promise. 
Are you about to break this promise? And very clearly, this was intercession because in verse 14, now look at verse 14 with me. In verse 14, God now responds and He said, My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. What a gracious God, no? What a gracious God answering, responding to that intercession. But then watch verse 15. Moses responds as if he did not hear what God said. And he, Moses, said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Oh, that is an amazing verse as far as I'm concerned. Think about this. Put yourself in their shoes. Almost 40 years of seeing nothing but sand. 40 years of heavenly pandesal, manna. 40 years of bird meat. You must be tired of all the traveling, all the moving from one place to another. And now you have in sight the promised land, beautiful, verdant, land flowing with milk and honey. Finally, the 40 years is about to end. And God says, Go, but I will not go with you. Think about this. How many of us, honestly, because we're so tired of the wilderness, would say something like, Lord, wow, really? You're not going to come with us? Sayang naman, but we understand, Lord, that Maybe you're so sick of us, but thank you anyway for bringing us to the land of promise. So we're going to enter. We're going to feel sad. We're going to feel bad that you're not going to be with us. But okay, Lord, sige, bye. Thank you. And you jump right into the land of promise even without God. Let's be honest, dear friends. Many times... We are more interested in the blessing than the blesser. Amen? Many times, we are more focused on the healing than the healer, the gifts than the giver. Oh yes, we love the blesser, the giver, and the healer. But many times, what we can get from him is more important to us than he himself. And yet, Moses was someone different. He says basically in verse 15, Lord, if you're not going to go with us, forget the promised land. I don't care about the land flowing with milk and honey. I can take the sand. I can take the manna. I can take the bird meat. 
for the next 40 years as long as we are with you and you are with us because you are all that matters. It is you, Lord, who makes the difference in our lives. If we enter into the land of promise without you, what will make us different from everyone else in that land? It is you who makes all the difference. And brethren, that's God in your life and mine. It is He that makes all the difference. It is not what we have. It is not our giftings. It is not our talents. It is not our possessions and our resources. It is not our accomplishments. It is not even our failures. It is God that makes all the difference. And this is what Moses here was saying, that it is God who is the distinction. Now go back with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is what I've been trying to say. God is the distinction. He is the transition. He is the one who marks the ultimate contrast between what we were and what we are. Without God's provision, without God's intervention, without God's hope, we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. Doomed forever. Doomed forever. And I want you to think of this. Are you ready to flip your Bibles with me? I, w- I want you to do this, please. I want us to look at several verses of Scripture here. Think of this. Once we were dead, but now we're alive. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Please read that with me. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Once we were dead, now we're alive. Think of this. Once we were enemies of God, now we're friends. Colossians 1.21, please. You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Enemies of God. You know, I, I always say this. Kaawayin mo ng lahat, wag lang Diyos. You can have everybody else as your enemy, just not God. You lose. But watch the contrast. John 15, verses 14 to 15. I can't wait till next Sunday because this is the passage that we will be looking at in my Gospel of John series in Guiding Light. Here Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Can you imagine that? Every time I read that, the the hairs in my arm stand. Even the little hairs on my head, you just can't see it. They stand to be called a friend of Jesus. Think of this. Once you were at war with God, now we are at peace. Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Go to verse 1 of Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what if you were at war with the world because of your faith? The important thing is you are at peace with God. Think of this. Once we were aliens, and now we are citizens. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, please, quickly. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. We are not only citizens, we are now part of the family of God. Think of this. Once we were afar off, now we are near. Ephesians 2 again, verses 12 to 13. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a beautiful passage. And what a contrast. Think of this, brethren. Once we were lost, but now we've been found. Remember what the Lord said in Luke 15, verse 6? In that parable of the lost sheep, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Think of this. Once we were cut off from God, but now we have access to Him. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 4, verse 16. This was our New Year's verse. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can now actually enter into the throne of grace. Think of this. Once we were condemned as guilty sinners, but now we are justified. When we say justified, it means declared righteous not guilty. Look at Romans 5, 9, having now been justified by His blood. Brethren, I can go on and on and on. My whole point simply is this. All of this because of but God. But God. Open your Bibles to Psalm 49, please. The psalmist declares practically a similar thought. Psalm 49, 14 to 15. As sheep, they are appointed for soul. He's talking about the wicked. He's talking about those who do not know God. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their form shall be for soul to consume, so that they have no habitation. Now watch verse 15. Watch the transition. But God will redeem my soul from the power of soul, for He will receive me. Look at the difference between those who are not saved and those whom God will save. But God, Paul, 
In Romans chapter 5, please open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5. Look at verses 7 and 8. He echoes basically the same truth. Verse 7, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps, maybe, baka sakali, for the good man, someone would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God. Let's go to the Old Testament. Are you still with me? Let's go to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, there are other versions of but God. But many times they appear as in a more personal way, but you, O Lord, that gives us the same thought. Psalm 3, please. Psalm 3, verses 2 to 3. Look at the contrast. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. That is a situation. Everyone is saying, no hope, you're dead. But then he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Look at the transition. But you, O Lord. Go to Psalm 59, please. Verses 7 to 8. Verse 7, Behold, they belch forth with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? This is the situation of the world. The world mocks. The world moves. The world lives as though God does not exist, or as, at the very least, as though God is powerless. And that could cause us to despair, right? But watch what happens in verse 8 when the psalmist says, But you, O Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at all the nations. Oh, I like that part. It makes me see how cool God is in all of this. All of these nations are boasting about their power, their wealth, their weapons, Russia, China, North Korea, ISIS, and all of these other terrible groups boasting of what they want to do. As, of the, as if they had all the power, and in all this, God laughs at them, saying, you've got to be kidding. Look at Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verses 7 to 9. Look at verse 7. That when the wicked sprouted up like grass, and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. He presents our contrast. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. What is a contrast? All the wicked, they are transient. They are impermanent. They will soon disappear. But you, Lord God, are permanent. You are eternal. And you are my God. Psalm 86 Psalm 86, please. Verses 14 to 15. Look at the situation again. Oh God, arrogant men have risen against me. And a band of violent men have sought my life. And they have not set you before them. Now this was a situation of danger. Enough to cause the psalmist to panic. 
But watch verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Watch the switch in perspective. Now what am I trying to press upon you, dear brothers and sisters? This we must be reminded of the significance of but God in the daily situations in our lives as believers. Situations that challenge and or test us. We must be reminded of the significance of but God. Brethren, but God provides the contrast to what we are experiencing or going through, changing our perspective to enable us to be victorious in the situation. The trouble is many times we forget to say, but God. Amen? We get overwhelmed with what is facing us. We forget to say, but God. When you are faced with insurmountable needs or pressing and urgent needs and it threatens to overwhelm you, you must be able to say, But my God shall supply all my need according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When you are faced with temptation, temptation that threatens to drag you down into sin, you must be able to say, but God shall provide a way of escape as He has promised in 1 Corinthians 10.13. There is a way of escape. When we feel overwhelmed by whatever it is that faces us, we must be able to say, but God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is greater than my situation. When we feel weak in flesh and heart, we must be able to say, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you feel confused and needing direction, we must be able to say, but God is my wisdom and my guide. That is what Psalm 31.3 says. That is what Psalm 73 verse 24 says. That is what 1 Corinthians 1.30 says. Jesus is our wisdom. When we feel drawn into debilitating self-condemnation and guilt, maybe because we had sinned against God, and because of this, you do not feel like functioning or serving anymore. You do not even feel like coming to a service like this anymore. You must be able to say, but God has forgiven all my sins by dying for me on the cross of Calvary, Colossians 1.14. My sins are great. My guilt is overpowering, but God has forgiven my sins through the cross of Jesus. No room for self-condemnation. How many of you are, have children? Well, you don't need to raise your hand to the next question. How many of you 
many times have problematic children. Don't raise your hands. And sometimes you feel like giving up. Don't forget to say, but God, children are a blessing from you. You gave me this child for a high and lofty purpose. Thank you, Lord. And watch how your perspective toward that child will change. How many here struggle with pride every day? Please raise your hands. Well, only one-third. I love this church. This is such a humble church. How many here struggle with pride every day? When we feel pride welling up within us, brethren, we must be able to say, but God, through Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Brethren, all of these things I'm sharing with you, these are not theoretical. These are things that happen in my own life. I'm sharing to you how I seek to apply but God in my life in all of these situations. One of the best antidotes to pride is, but God, go back. Go back to the cross. Go back to what Jesus did in humbling himself in Philippians chapter 2. And watch how that will deal with pride in your life. Brethren, what's my whole point? It's this. We must therefore make it a habit to bring God into every detail of our lives by consciously, by deliberately declaring, but God in the circumstances that confront us. Do not remove Him from the equation of your lives. In essence, what I've been trying to say is basically this. Friends, we need to learn to go back to the gospel. We need to learn to go back to the cross, understanding the practical ramifications, the practical implications of applying the truth of the gospel in all the key aspects of our lives. Balik sa gospel. But God. It is when we lose sight of what Jesus had done on the cross for us that we get into trouble. But each and every time we go back to the cross, in a simple formula I've given to you by just simply saying, but God, it will make all the difference. And brethren, that's why the Messiah came. That's why He came and suffered and died. Because we needed a life transfusion, not a blood transfusion, but a life transfusion because we were already dead. And the only way to get that life was for life to be drained from Christ, the living one, and given to us. 
our death was reserved was 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 reversed rather because a human not worthy of death came to us and died for us and his resurrection his victory over death overcame the tragedy the calamity of our own self-will praise god and because of that this is the bottom line we no longer need to go our own way do you believe that when you are in christ now you you cannot just simply say, I have no choice. I'm only human. That's why I do this and I do that. Now we have a choice. That's why I love Romans chapter 6. As far as I'm concerned, Romans chapter 6 is a victory chapter. There we are told you are no longer slaves to unrighteousness. You are now slaves to righteousness. We actually have a choice. We no longer need to go our own way. Brethren, our salvation in Christ is the most major event in our lives, far eclipsing all others. Everything else in the Christian life flows from that. Do not forget that in the daily situations of your lives. When we understand what really happened in our fall and redemption, we can't help but marvel and be in awe, right? When we begin to remember what we were before and what we are now, we can't help but marvel. And we begin to realize, brethren, that our fate was worse than we thought and our salvation is actually greater than we think. But we lose sight of that when we do not preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. But when you remember this, that's why all that is left for us now is gratitude and love as expressed through lives lived in devotion to our Lord for the glory of His name. That's all that's left. As we remember all of these things, that's all that we can give back to God, really. Gratitude and love as expressed through lives lived in devotion to our Lord for the glory of His name. Now, you might ask, before I wrap this up, what's the connection of this to, our, to your anniversary? This year, we will also be celebrating our 21st year. It is this, no doubt, that in all the 21 years, how many of you were with Living Word from year one? Can you please raise your hands? I want to see. It's so encouraging when I see hands here who've been with this church from day one. Praise God. I asked that same question when we celebrated our 20th year last August in Guiding Light. No doubt that in those 21 years, God had moved in such amazing and powerful ways, using your church to bless not only everyone who comes here and sees this as his or her church, but using your church to be a blessing to other churches here in Cebu, to other churches in the Philippines, and guess what? To other churches outside of our nation. God has used Living Word to be a blessing to Cebu. Living Word is indeed a blessing to us in CCM. In those 21 years, God has accomplished much through you. This sanctuary is a testament 
of the grace of God and what He has accomplished and what He will continue to do through your church. But in all of these achievements and accomplishments, in all your victories, please do not forget but God. Go back to the center point of it all. All of this is simply because of what happened in Calvary on your behalf. All your achievements, all your successes is because of what Christ had won for you in Calvary. So that even as you do enjoy your accomplishments and your successes, you will enjoy it with joyful humility. Amen? On the other hand, no doubt in those 21 years, your church has been through a lot. A lot of challenges, a lot of testings, a lot of attacks. Even now, the things that you face as a church could be strong enough to weigh you down and cause discouragement. Now, in all this, please do not forget, but God in Christ has declared, yes, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So no matter what it is you're facing as a church and as individual members of Living Word, because Living Word or this church is not this building, it is you. Remember but God. And this is what I told the congregation last night. You are not living word. You're not living word. Jesus is the living word. Amen. But you are part of the living word. You are part of the living word. And do not forget, but God. That's what I tell our people in guiding light. We're not guiding light. Jesus is the guiding light, the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. But we are part of that guiding light. We must never forget that center point in the life of your church. And may God continue to honor and glorify His name in and through you, Living Word Christian Church. God bless you. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for your word today. I trust, Lord, not in my ability to speak, but I trust in the power of your word through the moving of your spirit, making that word come alive in our hearts and in our minds, planting that truth, causing it to take deep root in our souls that we might bear much fruit for the glory of your name. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for their pastor and for their elders and for their workers, Lord God. I thank you for all their members, Lord God. I thank you for all the fruit that this church had borne for your most holy purposes and for your honor. And I thank you, Lord God, for how you had used this church to be a blessing to countless others. 
I now entrust this church into your hands, Lord God. All that they face, all that they will be facing, help them to say, but God is our shield about us, our glory in the lifter of our head. Lord, burn this message in our hearts and help us make it a habit that in the face of everything, Lord God, that comes across our way, we must be able to say, but God, but God, but God. Thank you, Father. Your blessing be upon us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. That was a very sobering and very powerful message that we needed to hear. And we just really need to be reminded of the past 21 years that we have been in existence. We have had many challenges. We faced many difficulties. There were times when we were discouraged. There were times when we were at our wit's end. Many questions, many doubts, many fears, many worries. But God was there. He has been there. He will always be there. And as we face the next few years, the next decades of our ministries, we know there will be challenges still. We know there will be problems. We know that at times we might get overwhelmed by the many adversities that we face. But God, in His grace, will always be with us. Amen. Praise be to the living God. Shall we rise from our seats, brethren? Let us pray. Our Father, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you for the word. We thank you, O oh God, for reminding us you are the center point. And you alone deserve the glory, the honor, the praise, and the worship. And you have no rivals. In this church, O oh God, you are the living word. You are the God who is above all. You are the God who is holy and transcends everything, O oh Father. And we will forever bless and praise and worship and glorify and honor and revere your most holy name. Thank you for this God moment. 
Thank you for this time of reminding us, Lord, of all your goodness. We thank you as well for the opportunity to worship you with our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And would you be so kind, Lord, to bless us? Not because we're greedy, not because we're materialistic, O oh God, but because we want your name to be glorified and your kingdom to be extended. Oh, we give you thanks and praise. Whatever has been achieved today, whatever has been achieved for the past 21 years, whatever you will achieve in the future, we give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. <laughs> Praise God. All that we have experienced is grace. Amen. This is all about grace. And let's declare the goodness of God, the grace of God in our lives. Amen. Let's sing, This is Amazing Grace. 